In this episode, we're going to talk about mail-order brides in the Old West. I know. Apparently, I'm having things about the West lately. I'm nowhere near the West, unless Atlanta has suddenly located itself on the other side of the continent. I'm okay, but I don't know. Anyway, so in this series, it's called The Mail Order Bride, Inc., and the one I read is Dear Mr. Weaver by Kit Morgan. It was written in 2016. It was on Amazon, and it was a freebie. And it was when I just, I collect so many books, and I was just like, I want something different. I want something unique. I want something that stands out. So I went for more of a chase romance. And a lot of people call them clean, but I was actually listening to the conversation on Twitter, and I think Chase is a little bit more realistic because clean makes it seem like the other ones are dirty and sex ain't dirty, sex is part of life. But I enjoyed the kind of Chase and the the other kind of story development outside of, of the attraction, and I enjoyed the kind of build up and lead up to the attraction. So I'm definitely down for it. And the lady trope, of the week is an orphan city woman who starts off as a male order bride in order to get out of being a laundress forever and ever and ever in Denver. What I like is the character. Okay, I'm going to try and say her name right. I'm probably not going to because I'm not Swedish. And it looks like it's Iba. And I think her last name is Knolsen or Nolsen. I'm not sure. But she's 20-something, and she's originally from New York City, and then her family moved to Chicago, and then she landed in Denver, and then she went on to the Washington Territories for this story. 1876, I think, is the year this one takes place. I love the character. Ebba is just amazing. And the fact that she's determined, I mean, come on, you just try doing those those kind of things and see how well you can turn out. She's very pragmatic because she wanted to go somewhere, you know, with a beach because she's got terrible allergies. Like she's got the kind of allergy that would make us all cry because she did not have things like antihistamines at the time. And she's daring to go with the determination and the pragmatic because she knows it's not easy to start anew. I mean, you're literally saying yes to a person you've never met, like at all. And you're suddenly saying, okay, I'm down with this marriage. I don't know who he is. I don't know what he is. I don't even have a picture of him because there was no Skype. There was no cell phones. It kind of just got what you got. But she did it anyway because she knew she needed it. But I think, oddly enough, one of my favorite things about her is her Swedish pride. She's first generation American. Her parents and all their family came from Sweden. And she has this like deep love and this deep pride in where her family came from because it's part of what they learned growing up. Learning to cook and clean and all that seems very like gender binary, but in her world that was a way of connecting with relatives, be it, you know, grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, mom, dad, it didn't matter. And unfortunately, they're all dead now. Influenza, and then her parents died when they were, you know, in Denver, and so it kind of left her on her own, and there wasn't a lot she could do, so it kind of trapped her into being a mail-order bride. But it's something that she's aware of, and she acknowledges this. You kind of have to take what life gives you and, and deal with it. And she's like, okay, I'll take this, I'll deal with it, I'm not happy about it, but I will deal with it. The only thing I didn't like is because she was an orphan, because she was so alone, there was just a lack of community around her. And I think that's because like her only friend was actually Mrs. Pettigrew, who ran the mail order bride business. I think that that was kind of a detriment to the story and that I wanted to know more about how she would have been if she had been around people that she knew. You know, not so 
acquiescent when, you know, she's faced with things that she doesn't understand, you know, a little bit more pushful, a little bit more development in that role. But honestly, I love Ebba. Ebba. Honestly, I don't know. I'm just going to call her Ebba for the rest of this. Look, I'm doing good. There was no umlauts in that name, okay? I just, I wish I'd known more about her. And I, I like the fact that Mrs. Pettigrew became her friend. By the end of it, I just wish that we had seen a little bit more and put together a little bit more and done a little bit more. I think that really would have been helpful and kind of putting together why she's still friends because most of the brides still write to Miss Petty, Mrs. Pettigrew because the life she gives them is something that they weren't expecting and it was awesome. But I wanted to hear more about what happened after the book ended, which I'm fairly certain will end up in another one. I mean, let's read that one. So I wanted to have that little bit of connection there. Again, there's always that one woman in, in a lot of these romance books where she's just evil and it's like cartoon villainy. And that was, you know, Nellie Davis, who reminded me a lot of Little House on the Prairie's Mrs. Olson. And like she started all this stuff and it was huge. Like what she started was this huge problem and there was just no reason for it. There was no lead up. Like you wondered why it happened and what happened. And it just, it felt a little bit flat. Actually, it felt completely flat. And I, I don't really see her as any other heroines. And I think part of that is, is because I've read enough mail order brides that she just kind of rings like a little bit like true, like Ebba is very true. I just, I wish I had been able to put some more names together because I think it would have helped you understand who she was but she was a city girl who woke up in a world she did not expect she's two days from the local town which is named nowhere in Washington so it's this tiny little spot and it's already like she's already like two days ride from there so she's very isolated and I just I don't know I wish I'd seen a little bit more of her life in the city before she decided she didn't want to be a laundress forever really bad you know employer which I completely get because we've all had those jobs sometimes marriage sounds a whole lot better I totally will not disagree with that but her love interest is named Daniel Weaver hence dear Mr. Weaver and I want to say he was only around 15% in sucking to be honest and it wasn't a lot like it was just I felt like he was very naive and there was a couple times where he didn't involve her in discussions that she needed to be a part of. Like in the letter that he sent, he never said he had so many relatives, like 24 to 25 relatives and live on this farm. It's huge. And you know, that's something you need to tell someone. You need to be someone aware because she's going from an extended family that was there to literally nothing. And she hadn't had parents in a while. And so it was just a big cultural shock for her. And I wish that he had been a little bit more developed and a little bit more mature enough to do that. And when she got there, her allergies went haywire, which understandable, she's allergic to like everything. And you're putting her in orchards because they own an apple orchard. So all she sees is trees and grass and all that kind of stuff all around her. And she's just going, oh man. I don't blame her. She started sneezing and she didn't stop like throughout the way. She'd find different things at work. Like one time um, Daniel's mother gave her some whiskey and I'm assuming it was probably something like tea and, you know, lemon and the kind of stuff that we put together because those of us in the South know. You know, he just didn't include her in conversations as well. Like he wanted her to be the school teacher because she couldn't go outside. Makes sense. But he discussed it with his family before he discussed it with her. Like there, there was just a lack of communication, which I know a lot of people get in their marriages, or especially early on. But it just felt like if you're doing a mail order bride, maybe you should be upfront about some of the stuff to start with. And he was he was kind of too much of a mama's boy, to be honest. And that kind of threw me off. I didn't really love him and I didn't really hate him. I just kind of liked him just because I think he was just a little bit too attached to his mama and it just didn't really allow her to grow. And so he didn't really feel like he was old enough to get married at that point. He, he felt like he he was as young as as he was and I just it, I didn't really like the affected speech and the writing either if and and stuff like that but I understand the point of it it just felt really weird because she could speak pretty standard American English and he was kind of like if and and ain't and when I say ain't all the time but it, just, it felt a little bit like too gimmicky 
And honestly, with so many relatives, I could not tell you about all of them because the relatives were far and wide. I mean, there was 25 when you count Ma's later Bo, the Sheriff Harlan. There was just a lot of people, and I kind of had trouble keeping up. I liked his Ma. I liked Ma Weaver. Ma was awesome. Ma was smart. She understood what she was doing, but it just felt a little bit like I wanted a little bit more in their relationship. Like she kind of said mom things and then moved on. And I didn't really get to see the, the, the relationship grow between the two women until near the very end. And I wish I'd seen a little bit more in the beginning so I could see the lead up to why it went from A to B. I, I like the fact that when it comes to their romance, it, it was mostly about how they how they are, but they're surprised that the other one looks good. Like, they went into it expecting low, low, low expectations, and it turns out it wasn't quite so low. So, awesome possum. And I kind of liked the fact that, like, she didn't understand, like, the the, the little, like, feelings you get when you touch someone you're attracted to. Or, you know, and he was a little bit disconcerted by how much he was attracted to her because they hadn't really, they weren't really in a relationship that that was a thing yet. I mean, they were going to get married, but they barely knew each other. And I like the fact that the mom, that Ma basically said, like, you have to like love and be in love. You have to like the person, you have to love the person, and you have to be in love with the person for a successful marriage. And I thought that was strong advice that, that definitely, you know, matched off on this. And it's a chaste romance, so there wasn't anything that was really on the page. I mean, like, the kissing was, like, a little bit of tongue, and that was about as far as it went. And obviously they ended up happily ever after because it's a romance. There's one part that, the one part that really almost ruined the book for me, but didn't quite, was the attempted rape scene. And this goes back to Nellie Davis. Remember the one I said didn't really have any motivation? Well, she, she steals a letter that's written by Ebba to Daniel. And it had a single line written by Pettigrew that said, I look forward to sharing a bed with you. And Davis took that to mean that, the, that Ebba was a whore. Her, their words, not mine. And so a lot of the men started to look at her with their eyebrows raised while a lot of the women were scowling. And it didn't come out till the very end, you know, about what, what was going on. But in between that, right after they got married, and poor Ebba is, like, surviving from having an allergy attack in the middle of her wedding because they're having it in an orchard. When she's allergic, this is why I wish she'd said something sooner and had spoken up. But anyway, they could have had it somewhere else. I didn't care where. Somewhere where it didn't involve a lot of hay or trees. But anyway, so at the day after the wedding, Mr. Oliver, who is this blacksmith, is leaving. And she's offering sandwiches to people leaving because it's a two-day trip. Like, they're going to want to eat. They're going to get hungry. And this will keep some food in their, you know, in their little arsenal so they can stop for lunch along the way. Mr. Oliver, like, pushes her into the hay in the barn and, like, attempts to rape her. The only thing that saves her is the fact that Daniel happened to think that there was something wrong. He had that instinct, and he went to the barn, and he hit Mr. Oliver with the pitchfork in certain areas in the back that definitely hurt. I was like, go team you. I am not going to say anything bad about this. This is exactly what should be happening. But the, the rape felt out of place, and it felt... Let me phrase that. It felt in place with the the gossip that was going on, but it felt out of place in, in this type of a book. Like, it didn't mesh well, and it, it just felt a little bit odd. Because previously, the day after the wedding, someone else was making statements and calling her a whore, and, like, they all knew about it, and no one told Daniel or Ebba, and it was just really too much for such a short amount of time, and I wish that there had been a lot more 
nuance put in that particular scene. Now, I'm glad Mr. Oliver got justice meted out, and I'm glad Miss Davis did too, Mrs. David did too. Like, she's got to be on community service working at the local restaurant for a year, and Mr. Oliver's butt went to jail, and I'm like, yay. I would prefer it to be more than two years, but still, yay. I don't care if it's realistic, it's justice. Yay. It just, it felt really weird and out of, out of place. But some of my favorite scenes were actually all about Ebba. Like, it wasn't the romance or anything. It was actually her character as a person. Because, like I said, Daniel is very much a mama's boy. Well, mama can do this, mama can do that, or my sister-in-laws can do this. And it kind of took away her power of what she could do as, as a wife when you're comparing her to all these people. And there's one point where he says, like, you know, talking about food and how, you know, well, ma's got it all settled, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, you know, I'm a good cook, too. And she's trying to talk about it. And it kind of brushes her off, but she's kind of pissed off about it. And the quote goes like this. For some reason, she felt irritated at his words. Maybe she'd like to stand on her own two feet when it came to her cooking. In fact, many had given her high praise for it, especially when it came to the traditional Swedish dishes like I don't know. Of course, she wasn't sure what Daniel or his family would think of a pancake filled with diced pork, but it was sure that, they'd, that that's what they'd call it. Most folks had a hard time pronouncing the actual name. I like the fact, A, it's actually got Swedish in there, but B, it also calls back to her childhood and what she enjoyed growing up and what she enjoys doing now. And I like the fact that, you know, she's irritated by it because she, throughout the book, she's irritated when things like this happen. And I think that's a strong indicator of a well-written woman for the most part. And I also like the scene where after Ma's beau, the sheriff, proposes, Ma's really in a dither. She doesn't understand what's going on and she's very upset and she can't say yes and she can't say no because it's it's a lot for her. I mean, she's been a widow for 10 years. She's raised four boys. She's taken care of all this land with her boys this whole time. Now he wants to upturn everything even though she loves him. She just doesn't know if she can let go of the past. And, you know, Ebeth points out the fact that, you know, it's okay. Like, you're not replacing Daniel's dad. You're replacing nobody. You're just moving on. You're moving forward and that's okay. But one thing I really like is, is Ebeth tells her, after I think they've been together for about maybe five or six days, she says, Ma's like, well, why are you like this? Ebeth goes, because I'm trying to be like you. She whispered in her and tugged Ma tighter. You're a strong woman, Ma, the one I can aspire to. It's not like you to run from any. Telling her it's okay to feel like that and it's completely acceptable, but it's okay. Now, would I reread the book? Not entirely sure, to be honest, but there's a good chance I may. I just feel like it completed itself all the way. And this isn't, a, this is actually isn't anything against the book. It's actually towards the book. I felt like it put a lot of stuff together that I could reasonably, you know, mark the end of this, except for, you know, beyond like their future, except, you know, along the way, Mrs. Pettigrew mentions to the, to a person that's actually interviewing to be her assistant, you know, well, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've pretty much got everybody together for the past 20 years because of, one of Ebba's sister-in-laws, Isabella, is an Italian who had like six or seven brothers and sisters that they were taking care of on top of all the other ones, hence the huge amount of people on the farm. And so, you know, she's like, well, you know, I've, I found a mail order room for someone else, which is exactly why it's called Dear Mr. Dear Miss or whatever. And I, I, just, I think it's very interesting. I did like, and I did like Kit Morgan's voice. I actually really appreciated it for the most part. I thought it really worked together. I thought it worked well. I, I got the feeling of the, the small 
small town. Although I wish she described the town a little bit more because I kept just imagining Walnut Grove from Little House on the Prairie and that's way different because back then, you know, Minnesota was quite a bit away from Washington, especially more inland Washington. But overall, I didn't really have any gripes with it. I thought it was really well written. I would probably read another one by Kit Morgan, to be honest. I have no problem doing that and I, I'm glad I picked up this freebie because now I know that when I want something that's got a little bit different feel to it from my usual reads, I know that I'll enjoy it. And that's a huge compliment for me as someone who reads. So I really want to kind of see what else she's got. And, you know, I may not read the whole series, but I'm at least going to read like one or two more when the money comes in my pocket and I can do it. Why not support someone whose books you enjoy? Okay. Do you love animals? Do you love watching movies with animals? Do you like to see what happens when they're together? Then you should probably listen to Pet Cinematary by Wendy Mays. And she's this interesting person who does a lot of research and she has guests and they talk about it and they get together and they have all these things and it works in pretty much every way possible. But it really works because... I'm a fan of the movie K-9. I know everybody hates it, but I love it. I can't help it. I know it's a low and subpar Turner and Hooch. I don't care. I like it because it has a German Shepherd. And when I was a kid, I wanted a German Shepherd. I am that easy as a person. Seriously, I love listening to her and I love learning stuff. And I love the, the way she kind of engages the audience. So I definitely recommend her. I would definitely give her a thorough listening to. Okay, you can find Pet Cinematary at PetCinematary.com and also at Twitter with the same handle and I'm going to spell it out. It's P-E-T-C-I-N-E-M-A-T-A-R-Y. I know, it's a lot even for my poor mouth to say right now because I'm having issues. But It's definitely worth it. I definitely recommend it. And if you want to have a little fun, you should definitely join the party and listen. All right, guys. That's all. See ya.